Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. If you've been at City for any period of time, you know that all last year we took a look at one thing. We broke it up into different chunks, but... And it was the kingdom of God. This year is the kingdom of God. How do you live in it? And so we are taking an entire year to move through the Sermon on the Mount. And what we're going to begin a several week series on beginning this morning is called Church on the Mount. Church on the Mount. And this morning's subtitle is Jesus and the Church. Um, Before we get there, though, we always pray the Lord's Prayer out loud. So if you know the Lord's Prayer, please pray it out loud with me. If you don't, maybe you know it as the Our Father, but if you don't, that's totally fine. But in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught the kingdom prayer. It is literally the prayer of the kingdom. It's not just a template on how to pray. It's literally the prayer that everyone in the kingdom is called to pray. And again, it's called the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray this out loud together. Jesus said in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, this then is how you should pray. Ready? Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You may be seated. By the way, August the 13th, we're going to go back to three services. And um, as you know, the middle service, this service, is the one where we have children's ministry environments. So we're always asking people to consider worshiping in one of the services prior or after this one as of August the 13th. But right now we have the early service and this service. So really would love to encourage you that you would get up in the morning when God does and that you would come to church for the early service One of the staff people said to me today as we were talking about the early service, they said, you know, I wouldn't be here unless I was told I was, had to be here this early. So please pray about, think about, sacrifice for those that have children and please come to the early service. Now, what we're going to do again is we're going to take the next several weeks and look at the theme entitled Church on the Mount. Ultimately, what we're going to look at, what does it look like for a group of people to look at the Sermon on the Mount and take it seriously and walk it out together. And so again, what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to kind of build the foundation for this sermon series, and I'm going to begin by taking a look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, as Jesus completes the Sermon on the Mount. My son Peter preached on this on July the 9th, two weeks ago. He really went into what wisdom is and some of the deeper things that Jesus was pulling from, from the Older Testament. But what we're going to do this morning is kind of begin there at the end of the sermon and kind of discover together what it looks like for the church to be what Jesus intends for it to be. So Matthew 7, 24 through 7, the wise and the foolish builder. Here's what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and put them, puts them into practice is like a wise man. Turn to your neighbor and say wise person. Real quick, wise person. Now, this is a challenge for us with our modern view of things. But the Bible presents three types of people. The wisdom literature in the Older Testament, specifically the book of Proverbs, posits three types of people. Number one, there's the wise. Number two, there's the fool. And number three, there's the evil man. Three types. It's fascinating. And I know in modern culture, we don't want to talk about evil people. We don't want to do that. We, we, we get very uneasy. But the Bible's very comfortable saying there are actually evil people. But the question becomes, because we're going to take a look at the wise, because Jesus here said, a wise person will take what I have taught and live it. So what is a wise individual? A wise individual is not... This is from the scriptures, biblically here now. The wise person is not the sage on the mountain that sits in a specific chair and all of us do, a, do the strenuous walk up the mountain to get a data dump from this woman or man. That's not what wise is. Biblically speaking, specifically out of the book of Proverbs, the wise person is the person that knows they don't know everything and they ask for help. And they're willing to listen. That's what makes you wise. In our culture, the wise person is the person with gray hair or no hair who <laughs> knows everything. That's not biblical at all. The biblical person is, that's wise is someone that says, I don't know and I want to listen and I'm going to come to you and ask you to help me. That's wise. Guess what the fool is? The exact opposite. The fool is the person who thinks they know everything, and if you go up to them and you say to them, hey, like Jake is a friend of mine up here up front, and I go to Jake, and, um, or Jake comes to me, I'll be the culprit here, Jake, you come to me and say, Pete, I think you ought to think about these couple of things, and I go to Jake, uh, I don't want to listen. That's the fool. The, the fool is someone says, I don't want to hear the wise says, I do want to hear. In the evil, again, we're uncomfortable with this. But the Bible basically says there are people who are evil. They are bent against the things of the kingdom, and they will take as many people with them to oppose the kingdom. Three types. But Jesus says here, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, in other words, the whole Sermon on the Mount, Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool. They don't want to hear, they don't want to listen. Is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Some versions of the Bible say, and it was total destruction, wiped out. And so what we get the sense of is Jesus, as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, says, if you want to be wise, and oh, by the way, at the time of Jesus, almost everyone was seeking wisdom. We don't necessarily frame it this way anymore, but in biblical times, in all cultures around the Jewish people, including the Jews, they're looking for wisdom. 
There were all these lists of sayings, and many cultures had these, but you want wisdom because you want to know what the good life is and how to live it. And so what we have now is Jesus is saying that in his kingdom, if you want to be wise, you will take the Sermon on the Mount phenomenally seriously. It's going to be a huge deal in your life. When we talk about here at City what Jesus is referencing, we call it feet to your faith. It's where you see something in Scripture and you don't just mentally assent to it, you actually live it. You walk it out. Again, here we call it feet to your faith. Now, as we talk about Jesus in the church, what we want to do is we want to begin where church is first mentioned in the Bible. Because good biblical study, and we get this from our Jewish friends who study scripture, it's called the law of first mention. If you're gonna study a word or a topic, a theme or a concept, you must start where it's first mentioned in the Bible and it never dislodges from that. There's sort of a series of building blocks. So what we need to do to understand church is look at the first place it's mentioned in scripture. And that will bring us to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. So in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. The rest of the gospel is, let's look at Jesus and see what does it look like to live the Sermon on the Mount. And now Jesus, for the first time in the same gospel, mentions church. So what we're going to do now is, we're going to take a look at the context for which that happens. Jesus as a teacher, as a rabbi, did what all great teachers do. And that is, you create environments in which people can ask questions and learn. It's a great thing to do. And so what Jesus does for his disciples, here's the context of where he first mentions church, is he takes his disciples on a field trip that's a long way from where they normally live, and he takes them to the very fringe, the very edge of Israel. And as young Jewish men, their skin is crawling because Jesus has taken them to an environment where unbelievable ungodliness is happening all around them. We're going to read in just a moment where he takes them is called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi has become a region that's right on the edge of Israel where all of this ungodly stuff happens. If you hear Caesarea Philippi, you think Caesar Philip or Philip Caesar, you're right. There's actually a temple built to Caesar. Now man is being worshipped as God. Not only that, there's all these different religions, different philosophies that are flourishing in this region. And at the center of it is the worship to the Greek god Pan. One half goat, the other half man. The worship to this god is something we're not going to talk about publicly because we have little ears in the room. And Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi for a field trip, a lesson, and a place where he's going to ask them a pivotal question. So let's pick up our reading. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? That's Jesus referencing himself. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? By the way, this is never advisable. What you don't want to do is get a group of people together and say, what do you think of me? 
Because you might get answers you don't want to hear. But by the way, there's no other way to grow as a person. There's no other way. What did we say the fool is? The fool's the one that won't listen to others. What's the wise person? The wise person gets people together and say, what do you think? How are we doing here? I want your feedback. I need to know because this is the way you improve. You get better. And so Jesus takes his disciples and he asks them that fateful question, who do people say that I am? Then he goes on and he says to them, they give him a list of these prophets, including John the Baptist. And then he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? In other words, I don't really care what other people think. I want to know what you think. And Simon Peter, always remember, Peter's the second best name in all of the Bible. But Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, any person that ever comes to the understanding of who Jesus truly is, it is a divine revelation from God the Father through the power of the Spirit. It goes way beyond intellectual. Is intellectual part of it? Absolutely. But there is a supernatural revelation about the person of Jesus. And Peter is the first one to ever get it right. And he's right there in Caesarea Philippi with all of the debauchery and other philosophies and other gods being worshipped all around him. Jesus takes him in the middle of that and says, who do you think that I am? And Peter chimes in and he announces, you are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one Israel's been waiting for, Jesus, all of these centuries. You're it. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are God made fast, manifest in the world. That's who you are. You are the incarnation of the living God. That's you. And again, Jesus says to him, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my Father in heaven. And then Jesus now for the first time ever mentions church. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will what? Build my church. First time he's ever mentioned it, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know, you get the sense that Jesus has been waiting for almost two years to talk about the church. But he couldn't, because no one knew who he was. No one had publicly confessed and professed publicly who Jesus truly is. And the second that happens, Jesus goes, now we've got church. Now we can talk about church. Now, the word church in Latin is ecclesia. In Greek, it's ecclesia, ek meaning out of or exit. And the verb kaleo means to call or to gather together or to call out from among them. It's a political term. Politicians would send runners ahead to villages and cities and their name would be called out. And the people that came out to back that politician was known as the ek, the called out ones, the ecclesia, that group of people. And Jesus says, now I'm building my own. I'm gonna build my own ecclesia, this group of people who are called out from others. And look, the sole basis for church is a gathering people 
who have had the same revelation of God about Jesus as the apostle Peter did. It's what church is. Church is a group of people that are gathering around the revelation of Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, it changes everything. What I know, though, is people come to that place of understanding who Jesus is differently. For some of us, it's a long process like it was for Peter. I know that that was my process. I sat in church for almost a year, young preteen boy, and I listened to people talk about Jesus, and I observed their lives, and I watched some things, and one day, walking across one of the fields on our farm, I made the decision that I would follow Jesus, and gave, God gave me that revelation of who Christ is. It was incredible. But the church is based upon that. Now, because people come to Jesus different ways, if you were here last Sunday, you know we have what's called the Alpha Course here at City. It's a course that you can invite your friends to so that they have the opportunity to hear about Jesus and ask questions about Jesus and be in a context where that is done freely. Sunday mornings don't work so well for that at times. But that's what the Alpha Course is for. Now, here's what Jesus says now. Jesus, for the first time, mentions church because for the first time, someone understood who he was. Church. It's based solely on who Jesus is. Now, what I want to talk about next, as the pastor here at City, there are two things I think about a lot as the pastor of this church. Two things. One of them is something that I learned from an older, very wise pastor from a conference that I attended when I first started out in ministry. I was a chaplain at a university. I just started, and I went to this conference, and this man's name was Ben, and he was one of the keynote speakers, and what he did was awesome. He basically shared a lot of the things he had learned in ministry, and then he shared a story that I wished I never heard, right? By the way, I have a question. How many of you know when you start out and you get a new job, you fake it till you make it? I'm talking about, I was in the middle of faking it till I was making it as a chaplain. I had a lot of theological training, but how many of you know that education doesn't oftentimes really prepare you for what lies ahead? We have a dear family friend, and she's in the medical world, and she talks about how she went through years of training and then stepped up to a bed of someone who was very, very ill, and she couldn't believe that people were asking her to do something about that, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? You just kind of fake it till, well, I was faking it till I was making it, right? So, and believe me, fake it, you understand the context. So I go to this conference, and this guy gets up front, and he was brilliant. He starts doing this data dump on us about ministry things that he's learned. And then he shares the following story, and I wish I'd never heard it. Here was the story. He said that he had had a dream at some point in his ministry. He was up in senior of years, but about near the beginning, he had a dream that he knew was from the Lord. And in that dream, he said that he climbed up this very kind of steep mountain and it had a path that went up it and he climbed up the mountain and he got to Jesus and he knew he was like entering into heaven and Jesus reached out and wrapped his arms around him and he wrapped his arms around Jesus. 
But have you ever had someone really excited to see you and you're excited to see them, but while you're hugging them, you have the clearest sense that they're looking over your shoulder for someone else? You ever have that? Not that they're not excited. By the way, if you're grandparents, this is exactly what you do all the time. Your kids come home and you hug your kids, but what are you really looking for? The grandkids. You finally have a good return on your investment for having raised children. And it's true, isn't it? I felt it. I, my dad would hug me and I knew he was looking for the kids. Yeah, I was. Anyway. So this guy's name's Ben. Jesus is hugging him, and he's looking over Ben's shoulder, and Ben can feel it. He, he feels the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, and he's hugging Ben, but he, or Jesus, but he can sense Jesus is looking over his shoulder. So he kind of turns sideways, and Jesus has his arm around him, and he goes, Ben, great to see you. And he said, but where are the sheep? He went, huh? And he said, you know, Ben, I gave you a flock of sheep. You're their pastor, you're their shepherd, where are they? And he said, I sat there with my arm around Jesus and he said, my sheep started coming up the hill and they were clearly disoriented and not healthy and their wool was not good. And he said, Jesus said to him, I made you the shepherd of these sheep. I can't tell you how much I wished I had never heard that story. Because the text is clear. Those that teach scripture and pastor people have a higher accountability to God. And that story illustrated that for me. And he said he went home and figured it out. Because when you first become a leader, it feels great to be a leader until you recognize I'm accountable to God. I don't care where you lead. If you are a follower of Jesus, that leadership has a commensurate connection to your accountability to God for the people that you lead. So, that was the one. I think about that a ton. And then I think about the next passage that we're getting ready to read where Paul talks about the church. Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. Here's what the text says. His, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to reread that passage again. God's intent, this is the Apostle Paul now talking about the church, God's intent was that now through the what? The manifold wisdom of God is to be made known to principalities and powers. Manifold. What does manifold mean? It means different colors, much varied. Manifold, many diverse manifestations, ultra diverse, with multitudinous expressions. What is wisdom to a person biblically? Wisdom is the Greek word sophia, which means skill, wisdom, insight, human or divine intelligence. By the way, wisdom, just so you know, that Greek word sophia brings us the term sophistication, which means the art of using wisdom, and philosophy, affection for wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is life applied to truth and truth applied to life. Let me give you an example. I'm not really sure what you do, many of you do for a living. 
or maybe what you're involved with. But if you've ever been part of a team, have you ever been part of a team? Raise your hand. Have you ever been in a drama? Raise your hand. Have you ever played in an instrument where you played publicly? Raise your hand. Are you a builder who has built something? You're in the building trades. Raise your hand. If you are someone who's just part, if you've ever been part of something in life, what ends up happening at some point is what you do is shown to everyone. I played trombone as a kid. Don't be impressed. I was not very good. But my oldest brother was one of the best trombone players in the country, so I took up trombone. And I played trombone, and I made this high school marching band, and I figured out later we were actually pretty good. So we traveled to all of these competitions, and we played, and I guess we won some awards. One time we went to D.C. in a big competition. We did relatively well. But anyway, the guy that directed the band would take sheet music, a bunch of high school kids, and somehow get them together, and we would march in lines and play music and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, what he did at those competitions is what Paul's saying Jesus does with the church here. All of our conductor, band director's wisdom was made manifest. It was made known. If you're a builder, and all of a sudden people walk through the home that you've built and they go, wow, that's your wisdom being made manifest. If you're part of a team and you're out there in competition, that's where your coach's wisdom and your wisdom is being made manifest. And the Apostle Paul says, that Jesus takes the church and he makes it manifest but to a very unique group of observants. And those observants are principalities and powers in heavenly realms. They're the things that oppose God. And so what Jesus wants to do is to take city church and take all the opposing powers and the wisdom of this world and the corruption that is in this world and what I always picture God doing is God takes all of these opposing forces and goes, look at City Church. It's my wisdom. Can't be beat. And as a pastor, you go, what are those powers seeing? Right? Like, what a, do they recognize God's wisdom or the world's wisdom? They look at these people not just worshiping together, but throughout the week as they saturate the community. And it's not just city church, it's the Harvest Church across the street or the point up on Pantops or Mount Zion over by the Ix building or First Baptist Church on Park or First Baptist Church on West Main. You name the church. What Paul says is, is that God takes the powers that oppose him and says, look at my church. And his dream is that his wisdom is made known to the principalities and powers and those powers go, what, what's the point? We are utterly defeated. Do you catch this? So these are the two things that I think about a lot as a pastor. How are the sheep? And then what can God reveal about his wisdom to the principalities and powers that oppose him. That's what he wants to do. We've got a bunch of wrestlers up front here at UVA, and they're going to go to a bunch of tournaments. And what Steve and the coaches want to do is have their wisdom made known by seeing some W's in the column. Does that make sense to us? If you're a builder, you want to hand the keys to the person that bought the house, and you want them to walk in and see your wisdom. Wisdom, by the way, is function. 
It's about things actually working as the way they were meant to work. And so just picture what Paul is saying. God brings together those opposing forces and says, look at City Church. That's my wisdom being made manifest. Enemy, you can't win. But for the next several weeks, we're gonna look at the wisdom of God in Scripture and how do we walk it out as a church. Let's stand as we close. Now, as we put feet to our faith, I want us just to have in our spirits, our hearts, this one last verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So the church has a place to look for her wisdom, and it's Jesus. Let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, I thank you for the church. I pray and trust that your manifold wisdom is being made known through City Church to all of the adversarial forces that oppose your best in this world. God, I pray over my own heart and my own life, that of my wife and my family and the church where I serve with others in. I pray this over Harvest Church across the street and Thomas Aquinas Church on Alderman Road and Mount Zion African Baptist Church over by the X building and First Baptist Church on, on Park and First Presbyterian. Lord, all of the churches where we have friends that worship and those that we drive by, we pray that your manifest wisdom would be made known in a world that's dying to see it. God help us through the power of the Spirit. Amen.